0: Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware.
1: Hi, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours as always. Today's guest is Annie Hogan, who is an amazingly prolific musician, has worked with a giant number of people, but most famously uh, with Mark Armand and Mark and the Members, but also huge number of people, Depeche, Paul Weller, Style Council, Barry Adamson, Cabaret Voltaire, Wolfgang Fleur. I mean, she's a great pianist, great musician, she writes as well, and an arranger. And she's just been everywhere and done an awful lot of stuff. And like most musicians, had ups and downs, but now is coming back. I strongly recommend you check her out online because her stuff is amazing. So here she is, the great Annie Hogan. <laughs> It's about um growing up and and um because um, i know you know I'm, I'm going to come to the whole dj thing and amnesia and all that <laughs> i'm just interested in how you got to that point
2: um born in 1961 in birkenhead but i was in a little village called oxton and um uh fell in love with the with music immediately i would say i mean the first two singles I got when I was, I think I was about three, about three maybe. <laughs> Telstar, Joe Meeks, Telstar. Oh, I love I, that. We had that. I was mad for it, and the other side, I just oh god, I know that track so well, and I've suddenly gone out of my head. But Jungle Fever, yes. I played that to death, like to death,
0: <laughs> over, and over,
2: again, over and over again, and also Downtown, Petula Clark. Yeah, we had that as well. Sort of was like the the you know the ground ground print for my it's like you know hot trumpet and piano sort of groove and then some like you know electronic atmospherics that's kind of yeah me i
1: remember <laughs> round about that time i had uh, my sister it was my sister's record collection who we were a lot older than me and they had things yes. like um peggy lee fever yes oh my god what an atmospheric record that was and it was a picture cover i remember it's purple it's beautiful and um, and things like Adam Faith and Anthony Newley. And-
2: I kept them all. Because, I mean, my mum and dad went to Africa in the 50s, you know, on that. They moved out there to um, Lagos, where I was actually conceived. Wow. <laughs> and my mum managed, I mean, unbelievable to me now, you know, when I think about my mum, she was managing a nightclub called the Apapa Club and um, and opened it to everybody, which was, you know... So crazy, bloody, awful colonial times and everything else. So yeah. she was fighting against that in her own way. But anyway, she brought, they brought, she had the, you know, the seven inches from the jukebox.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um. So I had all those to rifle through. So I was like, because I'd, ne- you know, as could see, but I wasn't in Africa. My sister's the same as 10 years older than me. So I had her record collection, record play, you know, the high fidelity red amazing <laughs> lift the lid and and what the 45s on and i'd always be putting them in an order you know always had to be in whatever order i wanted to listen to them in <laughs> and that was always the way and then and i got you know i got like a junior drum kit and i remember having the top of the pops album and that. Uh, um that was the um,
1: peak of my career when we finally got
2: a uh uh the top of the pops
1: album. at the end of those albums actually I think we got a, a temptation onto a on on onto a top of the Pops album. I thought we definitely made it.
2: it oh, God, I mean, it was like you know a woman sitting with tiny shorts on and a vest or whatever, sitting on the front, sort of looking glamorous, and it's just like. <laughs> and a vest. But um, so yeah, I mean, I was just into music big time, and um,
1: I just need to well- rewind a bit. Why did your parents go to Africa?
2: Um, I think it was just you know it was something you did at the time. It was an opportunity. Dad got a job at the Ports Authority oh. at Lagos, and so they moved out there and had a you know a different life. I mean, it was thirteen weeks on the mail boat. Oh, I mean, I'm a oh man. Oh
0: my god! Weeks.
2: I mean, you know, and um. You know over many hours and you know a big long plane ride as well mom, i think mum went over a few times on the plane i think my sister was quite often sick on her And um, but the 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 mail boat they used to stop off at all sorts of places you know las palmas and yeah i had a you know a big uh charm brace that the had collected all the charms from all the trips and um yeah so they were there they came back to have me basically and they, i think the job was done and times were changing you know nigeria's becoming independent um in 1960.
1: fascinating story i mean it's not normal at all is it really for that period so no I
2: mean, like, so they so they were you know they were quite you know they lived if you like they were you know they they, they sort of international you know rather than uh, i mean so many people i knew in birkenhead stayed in birkenhead the whole of their lives you know oh yeah and I was determined to, you know, get away as soon as possible, really, and just to get out in the world. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, my cousin, I mean, piano was the thing that spoke to me. And my cousins had a piano. I mean, I was so jealous. They had one. I used to go there for my lunch every day from about, I don't know, six years old, seven, seven years old, and played their piano at every opportunity. And I could play straight away with two hands. and was mad wow. for it. And then mum and dad. I'm not saying I could, you know, (laughs) not Mozart, you know, I could play with two hands. Well done. And I, um, but mum and dad recognised that I was so mad for it, and eventually, you know, saved up and got me a piano when I was twelve and lessons. And I just, you know, took to it. Yeah, big time. But more, I mean, wasn't crazy. I'm doing scales. Did love playing the pieces. I mean, my piano teacher had, you know. Sort of ideas <laughs> about me being a concert pianist at one point or another, but I just wouldn't put the work in. I think you know I wanted to write, you know, I wanted to just do my own thing,
0: mm. you know.
2: And I'd be listening to other people, I mean Barry Man, Barry Manolo, Elton John, whoever it was, Nina Simone. Once I heard her, that was like,
0: yeah, that was it, yeah.
2: But it was, you know, a lot, you know, and it just encouraged me to play so much. And I'd be like playing. I mean, my dad used to m- make this funny comment where he'd just say I was like. You know, when Eric and Ernie,
0: and you remember when Ernie <laughs> yeah.
2: used to, like write a play in overnight or five minutes? And my dad used to be, you know, saying I was like uh, Ernie because I'd be just there all night, you know, sometimes get about two o'clock in the morning. Really? Just couldn't stop. Yeah, just, just... I was into it big time, you know, and otherwise I'd be, you know, my other big love is, you know, films. <laughs> so it's, you know, the visuals sort of, I think with the soundtracks, probably films is what, is what what spoke to me as well. You know, it's just everything's been music-driven since I, I can remember.
1: Can you, when, when you, I mean, do you have a, a natural ear for melody and sound and harmony?
2: I would say definitely. I mean, I would say that melody is the most instant thing for me. I mean, I could just, I can sit down right now and write, you know, just do a melody immediately, I would say.
1: Don't make uh, Can it. you be <laughs> one of those... Did, you,
2: you I, I have that knack, you know, and I have that um, sensibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, can, I, you know, can it's can an artist, you, isn't it? You, I mean, you, a gift to me, it's like I just think I'm I'm lucky to have, you know, recognised the gift and been given the opportunity along the way to develop it. You know.
1: Yeah. If you walked into a room full of musical instruments, are you one of those people that could pick up? Most to to I'm not you
2: you up blowing things. Madam. I said, I'm not keen on blowing things. Oh, right, okay. But then um, I do, yeah, anything that I can get my fingers on, definitely.
1: Um, I bought a, a wind synth. actually. Um, I did a, a project with uh, the the Moog Ensemble. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Those guys. And I thought, I was so impressed because they played uh, Escape Escape from New York on... on oh. uh, on, on a 10-piece synth uh, chamber orchestra. And they were playing ewes. you know, the Yamaha thing, I thought.
2: I do, I thought, yeah. A, I've got a, a Venovo.
1: Right. I thought, I can play that. I'll have a go at that. And I got it, and I was utterly useless. I couldn't get anything out of it at all. <laughs> <But> I could, <laughs> but it wasn't going
2: <laughs> to I can blow and get a good result is the melodica. And I'm a real natural on that. But, again, it's piano, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I, started,
2: I haven't played one much before, and I played one, um, started playing one on, when I was working with Derek Forbes, and it was just such a natural thing. And Lost in Blue as well, I played. Yeah, i oh, played I like a lot of
1: They're good, aren't they? Yeah, I've got one yeah, of those.
2: Great. I've got a few now.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears> so <throat> let's move on to your DJ stuff.
2: Uh,
0: so
1: tell yeah, us well, about that. I'm really interested in you setting a scene, if you can. Of, of 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 the kind of nightclub scene in in um
2: in Leeds it was it Leeds was, wasn't it, it was not Liverpool for me it was I, I left Birkenhead went to Leeds University um and gone to, to do international history and politics <laughs> um and I sort of as soon as I got there it was like I didn't want to study I wanted yeah. to get the record shop go out to the gigs and just, you know, be free. So I sort of did more of that and ended up sort of taking a year out which just never went back. And I I started I I went I mean I the first club I went to was the warehouse just for nights out and things and just thought it was amazing, you know. Um Mark was DJing a bit and Ian Jewhurst was DJing there then as well. I think he he, he was. It's, uh, I think he wasn't doing anything there. I might have been at Amnesia. Was, I met him at Amnesia, but um, the Warehouse was happening anyway, big time, and I loved it. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a job down at there was a new bar club. That sort of, you know, like the. I mean, it was one of the original those where bars became a club sort of thing. Yeah. And it was it was Leeds Amnesia and it was in the old um, bank, sort of on the corner of, uh, opposite the train station. I mean, it's Queen Square, I think it's coming. I guess it's, I'm trying to remember. I've only been back to Leeds a couple of times since.
1: We're playing that. in Leeds tomorrow, funnily enough, with a big orchestra. Oh,
2: <laughs> anyway. uh, brilliant. Yeah. Do you to regarding Leeds? I uh, will.
0: Um,
2: um, I mean, I loved it there, absolutely loved it. And yeah, so I got a job washing, I mean, I was washing the glasses behind the bar, basically. And Ian Dewhurst was DJing, and I literally just hassled him. I mean, for Human League, that was. I mean, I got to say, I know I'm talking to you, but I mean, reproduction. I mean, Travelog as well. I made, but reproduction was just mind blowing for me. It was Thanks. very life changing. It's funny in it, but it really, it really was. And so I was asking him for Human League, and I don't know anything that I could soft sell, obviously, and uh,
1: Ultravox and stuff like that. Probably,
2: everything, yeah, everything that was that, that was going, and. Um, he ended up just saying, "Why don't you come up Navigo?" And, and the DJ, the DJ box in Amnesia was you had to climb a ladder <laughs> and, go like a, and go through a, um, oh, you know, like in a in a where well, you pull up a wooden door. I just can't remember what they're called now. Trap door, yeah, isn't it? yeah trap door. <laughs> and they uh, say so you came through, you came through a trap door and you were high up above everybody, right? And uh, yeah, so you overlooking the the bar and the tiny dance floor that actually got extended. And um yeah, I just took to it instantly. I was like, okay, then, and I couldn't even believe you know, it's like being in heaven, you could just play <laughs> what your favorite music and nobody could even get to you there because you were because it was a- <laughs> really good but um i loved it and he then <laughs> he wisely offered me you know 40 marlborough and cocktails and uh, he went off and chatted women up basically and i dj'd and loved it and gradually wow. stopped behind the washing glasses pretty soon and became his assistant dj and then started doing nights i was playing you know new romantic inverted commas stuff and you know i don't know david bowie Iggy Popple, yeah. glam. i mean you know just everything that i loved soundtracks you know sort of threw it all in big bands wow. modern-
1: i mean if it wasn't for people like you uh and various other similar clubs around the country the whole of the i suppose you call it the futurist movement at yeah. that, point, would never have happened so uh, I owe you and all the others a, a huge amount of kudos for helping us out, because we thought we were out there on our own to a large extent, you know. Uh, but to, yeah, to we were to you were playing it. our records. We were, so we're
2: all dressing up in curtains and dancing to it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, funny. Um,
1: That's funny. Let's move on then, because I'm I'm looking at this list of stuff that you've done. <laughs> and it, it it's making me editor. There's so much stuff. Um You, somebody said you are the uh, Zelig of 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 music. You you are everywhere. You you must have an incredible work ethic. I think. Um
2: Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, yeah just, it, it's you've got that. I guess you've got that, or you haven't. I mean lazier now <laughs> but yeah a, a huge drive but just to, it's just the music you know you're just following that amazing music you know all the way wherever it takes you that's what I've always done my whole life and it's only about that really is you know yeah. because that's all the dots for me.
1: So tell us about when you started working creatively with uh, Mark and Dave Ball.
2: Well first of all I So I was DJing and I met them and, you know, we became friends, moved into the the housing association flat stroke dump that we lived in. And um, I was trying to think, I think, I can't remember if, I just suddenly couldn't remember if sleaze or, I, I, I know that I went down for parties and when they did TV, Top of the Pops and Things with soft sell. And I went to, it was like, we stayed at the Columbia Hotel. In oh, we did
0: as well, yeah.
2: So I saw you there. I remember seeing you guys there and seeing everybody there ABC and yeah. Simple Minds, and Chrissy, and yeah, everybody stayed there. It was like the, the I mean, the 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 uh, record companies used it always, didn't they? But Steve, right. as well, had his some bizarre lock in parties there. And I mean, you could get anything brought. Yes. So we, I remember uh, I hung out with Matt Johnson for a while. Yeah. And we became close and friends and everything. I remember he gave me a seven inch excuse me cold spell ahead which is amazing track and that became uncertain smile and um we became friends and he and he i told him i played piano and he suggested that i meet his pal that a project he was working on with simon fisher turner which right. was dirty um which was with colin uh, lloyd tucker and the pair of them they were doing this where they were you know, having these sort of French girls that were making this record and um, sort of delicate <laughs> uh, imaginings. And, um, and I took part, you know, Matt introduced me, took me along and I ended up in the studio in Soho sort of playing an improvised piano and uh, string synth thing to sort of repeating dolls. And, um, but it was a sort of a really, when I've listened to it now, I think that was such a great, you know, it's like just improvising. It sounds fantastic, I think. And, um, and they were great. I mean, I'd seen Simon on, t- you know, TV because he was a child TV star and he was like really dreamy, hot. You know, I was mad for him when I was a kid. <laughs> so, like, one of those things where it's a bit of a teen, I was like, oh, you know, sort of all, you know, a bit flustered when I first met him because he was sort of like, had been a heartthrob in a way, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, a a TV star, it was a bit starstruck. But we quickly became friends and they were so lovely to me and it was fun. Um, So I took that, I took a cassette and I played the cassette to Mark and he, I don't even think I told him I could play the piano. I don't, don't remember. And um, yeah, he was, I think he was pretty astounded and he probably thought, hmm this could be uh this could be a good thing so i moved my piano um we we did i remember i went into the studio first thing i'd recorded ever with him was we went to box studios in heckman which is just outside leeds and uh i recorded um, we recorded sleaze which is the first mark in the Mammoth track, and. A track called Fun City, which started off as a Mark in the Mambas track, and I played electric piano. And Dave was doing the programming, but not officially. I don't think the record company would have allowed it, because then it would have been like a soft sell thing, I think, was what was going on. So he was like, I can't remember the name he used, but, you know, he did a, a pseudonym. But he did the backing tracks, and I played I played some lucky piano sort of Doors Ray Manzrak, sort of influenced a lucky piano on Sleaze, and ended up doing the riff from Caravan as well. Wow. Uh, Duke, Duke Ellington, which sounds really great. And then Fun City ended up being on the B side of Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. Um Do you think that
1: a, you, I mean, looking back on all these things that you've contributed to right from a very early stage in people's careers, do you think you, it's it's kind of a difficult question, but do you think you have received
2: no the <laughs> right really credit
1: not. for, for no, doing what not. you've done? I
2: mean, I, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's um, I, I think it stung for quite a long time, but I'm uh more I'm reborn. You get co-writing now,
1: credits ever?
2: I got co-writing credits for quite a lot of the things I co-wrote, but obviously some things were it was you know what it, it, you know the record companies encouraged it as well where the you know the artists would just grab anything they could grab you know and it was just becomes an odd situation where you're close with people and it's all one thing. And then, you know, money gets involved. And I mean, I didn't get the credit. I don't think I've never really got the credit and not. Well, I, we're I'm here
1: to sure. fix that,
2: Annie. We're fixing that right now. It. It's supposed to be a very bad thing, isn't it? You know, so it's, you well, know, yeah, it's, the, the, it's not,
1: what, I've got a big problem with, um, people taking advantage of people who are generous i don't I don't like it and I know uh, you know a lot of record companies will just look at the figures on a sheet of paper and go well here's the artist we got signed up you know we need to recoup this money and so we don't want to give anything away to anyone
0: exactly um
1: so you know I it's a big problem and actually we um with the human League and and the 17, kind of obviated that uh uh to a certain extent because we said look we're gonna split everything three ways uh everything not matter who does what on what we're all in this together one
0: you know
2: i think that's a great way to do things but i was never you know i went in at entry level with mark he was already a star you know so already had a number one so i went straight in at, at a high level so I didn't have to pay the Jews in that way, if you know what I mean. I think I yeah. paid them still, but I didn't have to pay them then. And so, I mean, I benefited from that for sure. But at the same time, Mark benefit you know, I, I always, for years, you know, you start thinking, oh, they were, you know, you feel lucky or something. But yeah. as, I, as my brain has <laughs> taken over more, it's like I realised that, you know, I'm talented, very talented. Um, and I had a lot to give and, you know, you get mind for your talent and, if you don't sort of fight and stand up for it, which I, I mean, I, I do, you know, I do, I, I'm not somebody who, who who didn't confront back then, but I, not with Mark, I think I was just so loving doing the music. I didn't yeah. really, you know, the money thing I've just never been, I mean, I was probably just too, you know, didn't suffer enough as a kid in that way that I did, you know, I, I, it was, I was, it was you know, the mm-hmm. mom and dad worked, working class worked, but I, you know, wasn't tough so maybe i i just rolled along with it or something i don't know but i yeah, i, I shouldn't I, I mean paul would never have put up with not <laughs> like what i put up with if you know what i mean
1: i think we've got to address you know the fact that you're a woman uh yeah you know, and and it's a, it, uh, at that time the music industry
2: massively exactly a
1: man's world and still is to a certain extent
0: you
2: know? yeah, I agree. i'm misogynist in in just that, so boring annoying ways where it's just you know you just not quite seen even though you're doing all the work and you're probably more talented than all put together but it's like you're not you know but you've got to you know you just have to fight that much harder for it you know i mean i fought in a lot of ways, and i was a pioneer in a lot of ways but i didn't care you know about that side of things getting the or i mean it shows to me i don't care because i haven't got one photograph of me and nick cave or one photograph of me and nico it's like hello are you mad <laughs> but, you know, I've not got not that you know what I mean. I wasn't sort of making no. notes, collecting things for my future thing. It was like everything was just yeah. do you know, do it there and then, work, go for it, and you know. Well, t- tell off. us
1: about Nick Cave and Nico and your experiences you with know?
2: them. Um, well, I worked with Nico on the Stars We Are album. Obviously, worked on that yep. one track, and it was insane. Really, it was kind of mind-blowingly insane. Um, it was, I mean, obviously, massive of an Underground fan and Nico fan, so it was wow to be working with her. But at the same time, she was, you know, um, on the, you know, obviously on, the, on the, still on the methadone and, and sort of coming off everything. And, you know, she was quite lost in a way and kept, it was, I mean, <clears throat> she would start reminiscing and, and I think she got a bit, you know, as it's easy to do, got a bit confused in the studio and sort of would be talking about the Velvets. And then I think, I mean, she kept thinking I was Mo Tucker. Well, people are trumpest, but she was thinking I was Mo Tucker and, and oh my God.
0: Know,
2: started talking about that. And then back to, you know, reality. And even in the recording studio, I mean, I, it was me and Billy who was mainly doing it. I, mean, I didn't even know if Mark was in there when she was recording the vocal, I don't think so. But she was um, so out of time but it was still Nico, you know? So it was like, (laughs) it was challenging. And and I mean, it was like, where's the microphone? It was like, it's behind you, you know, it was kind of one one of those kind of situations. But in the end, you know, between wonderful engineering and, uh, you know, the magic of production and what have you, it it sort of ends up and it does sound an amazing track. I mean, Billy, Billy McGee did such an amazing string um, arrangement for that which is really the song and i always noticed that like mark didn't give billy any writing credit on that which just seems astonishing to me because the whole track is written really by billy with you know amazing vocals by mark and, and nico and lyrics by mine everything but it's one of those examples you know
1: yeah so it's it's- one of my other uh uh kind of underground heroes is lydia lunch who you work with as
0: well
2: yeah worked with and I worked with a couple of times actually I worked on the immaculate Immaculate Consumptives backing tracks in 83, 84. and I worked on hers and I worked actually on some of Nier like in the ghetto's hell and things like that and um yeah I worked with Lydia on a, on lost in Blue on a, a track called blue Contempt which sounds just great I mean I just sent her a, a piano piece and uh, and she responded with that amazing. Uh, vocal, the lyric and the vocal just about, yeah. You know, I think about trying to find the muse, basically, really. Yeah. So, uh, amazing. And
1: yeah, you, amazing. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I, I just thought... was like
2: is one of my all-time favourite ever albums. I adore it. And uh, yeah. I used to play a lot of that, um, DJing.
1: Exactly. It's interesting, isn't it? You think about... You are really a passionate and committed music musician who is driven by creativity. Yeah. But I'm fascinated. I've interviewed a lot of DJs who haven't got that talent, frankly, between you and me. Uh but this hybrid, the 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 uh the stuff that DJing gives you, it's almost like studying. I find I do quite a lot of DJing. And what I find is that I it's, it's a form of reflection on your influences.
2: Yes, agreed. And also just a way to, I mean, always when I was DJing, it was like doing a composition, you know. It's like you just compose the night and it's lovely because you're composing it live because you're seeing the reaction as people are reacting exactly. to what you want. And I mean, I just, you know, I nothing was ever planned with me. I mean, I used to have all my records, for example, at the, all of them. Like all the boxes, 5 million records, 7 inches and 12 inches and in albums. Wow. And I didn't know what to play. I mean, you know, it was just love, pure love.
0: Yeah. So I mean
2: that. A that that's such a lovely
1: way of putting it. Um, and you worked on a... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to read my own notes here. Um, <laughs> there's a Jacques Brel album. That you do. Yes. With Mark, yeah, about we,
2: that, we, we, I'm a big
1: Jack Brel fan
2: as well. well we do. Jack Brel fan and, and Scott Walker interpreter, yeah, well, as well. I mean, I'm mad for Scott Walker. Um, so well, Mark and I, I mean, you know, I would think Mark probably introduced me to Jack Brel. I mean, I might have been a web, I don't remember that. And so, I mean, we did a lot of French songs, really, but um, yeah, Jack Brel, we did quite a few numbers. and Either accessing them via listening to Jacques Brell, or as I said, accessing them via Scott Walker, even David Bowie, even whoever. But <clears throat> yeah, well, Bowie, I didn't, one, Bowie wanted I mean. to
1: produce Night Flights, didn't he?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but, but Scott Walker said, "No, nah, you're all right." <laughs> you
2: know, I'm already before you. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you don't.
2: I, I don't need I you. I came first.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
2: Oh, it's just amazing. But, um, yeah, so we did the uh, I did loads of piano arrangements and um of quite a lot of Jacques Brel material. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Mark and I you know, there was the magic that we interpreted really well together, I think, again, with passion, with there was just a special thing with him and me. and yeah. um, whether it was, you know, new compositions that we'd written or or interpretive of other people. it, it there was a, you know,
1: I not. I mean I I've listened to a lot of your stuff this morning and uh and there's a definite thread of a, a kind of um profundity and sadness and and wistfulness in 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 a lot of the stuff that you do and it's beautiful and it's it's touches the soul uh, but where does that come
2: from I know that darker cuz I'm yeah. quite a- I'm quite upbeat kind of person, you know, I'm a double Gemini, I'm summer, I'm all, I'm all about summer, but the yeah. the uh, the the musician, the artist in me is definitely an interpreter of, you know, everything that's going on, isn't it, around you in the world, even if you're not watching, because at the moment I'm really not watching, but I can still feel it all, you know, exactly. I'm a very extra super sensitive person, whatever that means, people always telling me I'm too sensitive or oversensitive, and I just think, well, you're undersensitive. There you mm. go. That's what I always think, because I think, well, where the hell do you think the music comes from? Do you know what I mean? I, I, always, like-
1: say to, I always say to people, you you know, from a musician's point of view, uh, people like you and I and many, many others, you are what you eat. So I'm always...
0: Exactly.
1: You, are, you, you I'm very, very careful not to eat the wrong thing. For instance, I never listen to the radio. I don't think I
2: listen to uh, classical. I listen to classical, but um, I listen and, to uh,
1: class classic classic music. Uh, but I also listen to a lot of experimental music. I the most of my compositions in the, in the last twenty years. Although I love pop and funk and soul, yeah, but, uh, and it's not uh, which we will come on to in a minute, by the way. But I I, I I've become more that. obsessed with the world of um, you know uh, kind of installations and affecting people's. Emotions through whatever means you can.
2: Absolutely, yeah, including you know, I'm and Immersed in the atmospheric sonics and you know visuals too. You know that can translate the sonics for me.
1: Exactly. So Barry Adamson, I, I've always been a big oh, fan of Barry. He's one of the man. few people. He's one of the few people who turned turned down doing the together with Mark actually who turned down. Uh, doing the the podcast, <laughs> interesting.
2: Mm. Well, I mean, I love Barry DePietro. I think he's a genius, and I think that um an underrated genius. I don't understand why he's not like one of our most famous film composers. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. um I first came across him, you know, I saw a magazine at my. Uh, um, Refectory gig you know the first gig when you go to uni sort of thing and you know one of the first ones and um just was like mind blown by magazine real life just adored yeah um, he, well, yes yeah. and then uh and then i saw them at leeds warehouse and just just thought he was the couldn't take my eyes off him i mean i was i loved the whole band and obviously it's a very you know a lot of piano in there and keyboard so it's just sounds magazine just a lot but yeah barry barry had the big effect on me and uh yeah i ended up meeting him on the um on the houseboat because he was going out with a a friend of mine celia johnston who actually took some great photographs of me on the boat back in uh 83 and um i joined yeah became friends with barry and did a few things with him and i ended up playing on his mosside story record which uh, right just a genius record, that. I, yeah, love, I'm,
1: I'm I love I the magazine, don't you? I thought magazine were...
2: Amazing. I mean, real life is still one of my just forever albums, you know, that, you know, I'm still playing tracks off that on these DJ mixes that I've, I've been doing for um, Real Talk, like the, the cassette series. Exactly. Like I did Lead Down Me in The Bat Cave and, you know, magazine about the weathers on one and I don't know what's on the other, Definitive Gaze, I, put, I was just... I'm just genius, you know. I love that yeah. um, correct use of soap as well. You know, you never knew me is one another favorite. But yeah, yeah. A, a brilliant band.
1: Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> no, no, no. I'm having to zoom through my notes because I've just realised I'm not even halfway down them, and we're already forty minutes in. Um, so you started a indie label, did you? No, Cactus oh. Rain is that your label?
2: no it's not a label it was a band that i it's like
1: oh am oh, sorry my notes sorry
2: it's okay I, it's like a, a band that i did in 1989 i was like i was pretty frustrated i mean we've done the stars we are It was sort of during the stars we are and
1: loves that by the way
2: yeah. yeah i mean i love that album and i did a lot of work on that album and co-produced it and wrote a lot of it and arranged a lot of it and yeah, it was very difficult times. I mean, I was it was the first time I was ever managed kind of thing. Rob Collins was at some bazaar and he started managing me. And we asked for half a point on that record, just half a point, <laughs> and they wouldn't give it me. Mark wouldn't give it me, nobody would give it me. And oh. it was like, you know, after 10 years kind of service, you know what I mean? It's like you finally asked for, for a point. And it was a no, it was an absolute no. And that led to just the breakdown of everything, really. And um, But I didn't want to leave him. I didn't want to, you know, everything in my bones told me I, I, you know, should be there. But at the same time, I was massively frustrated. And you just, you know, you want to do your own thing and you think you can. Um, I don't think I sort of actually had realised, what well, you know, to be a pop star, it's just unbelievably hard and not, wasn't for me, but I tried it. Um, I got a deal with Cactus Ring, quite a big, a silly deal, massive, but it ended where I'm still in debt for it now. You know, um, I did one album, a few singles. Jamie Reed, Sex Pistols, Jamie Reed, Art did the sleeves. Um, even did a video, and his partner at the time, Margie Clark, was in it, but. <sighs> Yeah. It was a video where Margie did some did like did a dance all the way through it, and nobody noticed that her tit had fallen out of the dress yeah. she was wearing, <laughs> and uh, so it didn't ever get shown. It was like one of those crazy oh, things that no. you know, I
0: don't
2: know how those things happened. I mean, I was very not in. I was just doing the music and sort of falling apart really. So oh. it was just you know gradual nightmare <laughs> going to pot, but you know. There was some great writing there. I did some great writing. I didn't, I just, the band wasn't right, but, no. you know, it was, it was, it was, you know, you just keep going forward, don't you, or you don't. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, let's move on, let's move on to, um, sorry, let's move on to um, Kicker By.
2: Yeah, Kicker was, well, obviously that was, early, that was 19, I started that in 1983. I moved down to London started DJing at the Batcave. I moved into Lydia Lunch's uh, house um, because she was over in America and her boyfriend at the time was Murray Mitchell who was the who was doing um guitars and, and Rodian stuff for Susan in the Banshees. And I was friends with Susie and Budgie and Steve very much then and Billy Chainsaw, their fan club guy at the time. Right. Um, so I moved into Lydia's flat and started, um, recording it because it's right, it's very near Alvic Studios, right? Uh, her flat. So I could easily get over to Alvic and I mean, I, you know, booked in. It's like, I mean, the, the, the genius band that I adore, Cabaret Voltaire, their label, Double yeah, Vision, our mates- to buy out. So it was like, look about. Happy days, you know. So I and it was. I mean, it was just one of those. I mean, I look back and I just think that you know, Nick Cave, Mark Almond, Budgie, Fetus, you know, J, Jim Thirlwell, yeah, JB Thirlwell, and uh, you know, and a, and a uh, Ginny Boar's playing strings and Billy's playing strings and 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 what have you and uh, Anita Lane, who you know, rest in peace, an amazing, beautiful, amazing, talented woman who was at the time Nick's partner. And she gave me the name Kickerby,
0: <laughs>
2: and, um, and so is why amazing. tell us why? I why um, She thought it was like lullabies with bruises, that's so what she thought. thought, yeah, and beautiful, so poetic, of course. And um, and I, and I was friends with Jessamy Calkin, who had been um, the tour manager for Anschutz and and who was also friends with. Everything was, you know, everything was connected through some bizarre. The crazy, <laughs> irritating, but genius, really, Steve O.
1: <laughs> Steve O is a um, nook case,
2: wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, but you know, some bizarre is just some, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with at the time, just an um, amazing record. I can't believe what was going on there and, and just the amazing music all, all connected and coming out of, out of there at the time was just incredible. Um, it's quite funny that some didn't put out Kickabye, actually. Right. I'm glad Double WWE did, though. But um I don't even remember if they were, if, if, if he even wanted to. But yeah, the kickabye came together. I started recording it in eighty-three and I did Nick's track and Budgie and Susie came down a lot and brought alcohol and other things. And uh and, well, sandwiches, uh, you mean? Uh, yeah, sandwiches that you some for some reason you put them up your nose. I don't know why. And uh <laughs> and um You, yeah, so we, you know, hung out at at Alvik Studios and uh, Budgie ended up, you know, playing gorgeous, sort of making a drum kit out of, you know, various bits around the studio and uh, playing some sort of gorgeous brush sort of jazz drums over, you know, playing to my piano rather than me playing to him. So that was, uh, that was, it just sounds amazing. I was so, you know, lucky to have that and uh, fortunate. and um, Listen, can I
1: just uh, interrupt and say... At this stage it What's clear is that people love you Because You, you know They see your passion for doing things For the right reason uh, Obviously it would have been nice To have a lot more commercial success In the stuff that you do But you've got lots of very well respected Musicians who are equally passionate Who are willing To hitch their wagon to you to you.
2: time and 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 everything else and and it yeah it feels a good thing and also you know when i think about success or whatever i also think that that's a two-edged thing i mean i maybe if i'd had success i wouldn't be here now you know what i mean i I think i I think you are you know
1: we we all do what we do and we do it for the right reasons and 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 that all rinses out in the
0: end you know yeah
2: i mean if i ever think about money or or getting successful it, it always goes wrong so I, I tend to not. Do that. I mean, honestly, I swear to you, that is always. It's like the minute I think, "Oh, I can makes a bit of money," it's like, "Okay, well, that's gone." <laughs> Might as well just forget that. You You bought well, that.
1: I know another another uh, really good friend of mine is um is uh is Richard Strange from.
2: Cab- oh well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I know Richard. I've, I mean, he's, he's a friend. He's like we worked together on Lost in Blue, and I used to DJ at Cabaret Futura.
1: That's right, yeah. That's why I mentioned it. I think he's another one of those guys who should have been a megastar and but for whatever reason he's he's navigated his path through life yeah, creatively and he's done the most amazing things. I mean um, you know.
2: hello. I mean hello. Hello? Is there anything he was in Batman? That just was just I mean, that to me He's amazing. I never I mind all the amazing music, but he was in Batman.
0: Yeah. Um- I, mean, I love Doctor that madness.
1: Were fantastic, yeah.
2: Oh, amazing! Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so, so you now you you put some stuff out which is more kind of that it's, isn't it's classical, but uh, under under <laughs> the name Anne Margaret Hogan is
2: that right? Anne, that's my proper name. That's my actual name is Anne Margaret Hogan. Right. Um, I mean, it's Anne, but you know, it's my middle name is Margaret, which is after Mum. Right. So uh, I, I mean, I signed with signed you know i'm with Downward since 2018 and sort of solo since i started doing a couple i mean i did two piano solo albums um they're beautiful by the way them. i
1: listened to them this morning
2: thanks ever so much yeah I'm, i mean i'm it's been just so you know a, a very enriching experience for me to be able to develop that you know to just to find the piano again and and like i said lockdown really helped me because i was going out for walks with my tascam and just doing loads of field recordings <laughs> um you know with the on on the dog walks the allowed dog walks nice. and uh you know because i've got i mean i'm i'm sort of in the i mean you know i'm in a town but it's like i'm i'm right on the coast i'm i'm literally 5 minutes walk down to the the mersey nice um, and you know Bidston Hill, which is like a, a sort of sort of little pagan playground, just very near Oxidam where I'm from. There's, there's there's quite a lot of places to go walking around here. Loads of countryside bits. So, yeah, I drenched myself in that, and and then poured that into the music, you know. Or I'd open the studio doors and just you know put all the mics on and let the birds sing while I was playing. And yeah, I just opened myself up and and allowed myself to just improvise, and then. Fantastic. A lot of those improvisations were like whole pieces, or I'd, you know, do a little bit of fiddling and
1: yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, quick question for you: what, what, what do you use? Uh, what device do you use for your field recordings?
2: I've got a, a little Tascam, you know, handheld little Tascam recorder. I use have that. You ever, me- have
1: you ever messed around with? Um, I can. Uh, the reason I mention this is because I, I recommend it to everyone. there's some Roland in-ear headphones that have got microphones in them. And if if you plug those into any stereo field recording device, it will record what you're hearing and uh, in binaural automatically.
2: Oh, well, you can tell me. And so
1: basically when you play it back through your headphones, it sounds in 3D like it did. And they cost about seventy quid or something. These headphones.
2: So what are they called? Roland binaural.
1: I can't remember the code name for them, but if you put Roland, um,
2: in Roland
1: in binaural uh, recording headphones or something, I will do. I'm just a tip for the podcast listeners as well. They're amazing, and there are set, I think there are other companies that do this thing, but it's incredible, and it actually changed my field recording. Oh no!
0: Sounds I've fantastic. got a 3D That's microphone as well,
1: so I can do that. But um, this is just dead simple because you can take it out with you while you're listening to stuff. And then when you want to record something, you're, you're Johnny on the spot, aren't you? Fantastic.
2: So. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll be purchasing some of those.
1: Yeah, you should do. I absolutely um,
2: love doing the field recordings. It's like it's a, a lovely world to uh, yeah, immerse in.
1: It is. I mean, I did a project... Uh, I was employed by the National Trust to uh, to go around the to go around the coast and record different. Sound- they were doing this project to record what the coast sounded like, basically.
2: Great. Right. Uh,
1: <laughs> and uh, and I thought it's, it's
2: good. But it, I would like a treat? Go and do this, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And but anyway, I thought I'm going to find a, diff- a more interesting way of doing this. So I thought I'm going to build. I built a beach hut. And put a, a, an automatic recording device in it, and people go in, look through the window, look at the sea, and go, and it just says, Tell me what the sea says. <laughs> and then people record it, and then we ended up doing it in a 3D soundscape in Somerset House. It oh, was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you go, Richard Strange now is it has that beach hut in his garden. <laughs> <laughs> in Wilsdon, yeah. Anyway.
0: Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's
1: funny, isn't it? Um, so tell me what, literally what you've got going on now.
2: Well, I'm doing a DJ mix for NTS Radio, which right. I've never done before, which is really nice to NTS, be honest. Yeah. I'm doing an hour for them, and then I'm going on live later on in the year as well because they want me to go to the studio in Manchester. Um so...
1: Great.
2: Um, um, Yeah, I mean that's been. I'm. I'm just back in the. You know, I'm back in 1981 to 1983 again. (laughs) Really bad, but I'm back there now. So I've been. I've been having fun doing that. Obviously, it's you know. John, are you doing any live work coming up? I am going to. i I'm. I've been rehearsing. I want to go out next year very much. Um, I might do some stuff at the end of this year, but. I haven't done anything live for an extremely long time. and good. Oh, uh, well, No, I mean, I know, I, 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 because I can just go out, me and the piano, you know, or, so it's like, it would be, yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I mean, I've been, you know, <clears throat> Carl says that, you know, it's like New York is, he's dying to me to come and play in New York. Carl is Regis, and um, Carl right. O'Connor is Regis, who owns Downward Records, but also I collaborate with him a lot on different projects and, you know, he's one of my best mates now, basically. And um, so he's, he's, you know, could set up something in New York instantly, he said, because uh, I think the I agent, think a a lot. Lot of, you I, know, I another think... one of my heroes is is is, uh, is wanting to put me on New York. You know, I, I want to go and play in Japan. I want to, you know, I want to play in Europe. I want to play this, you know, I want to play full stop. I just get out and play live because it's been so long and I haven't felt like I could, but now... The music's pouring out of me, Martin. Do right. you know what I mean? Like it's come back. Like I know exactly what you mean about when the muse is just. Because, like I said, I'm always creative, but I find myself, you know, I'm doing art or I'm gardening. I'm doing something that's, you know, all-consuming and making me feel artistic. Usually, yeah. you know, changing things around us because if things don't look aesthetically right to me in the house, I can't work. So, no, so, um...
0: exactly, <laughs> and
1: you know, being creative <laughs> is what keeps us alive, isn't it?
2: yeah i mean i sort of live in the studio so it's like a living you know breathing environment to sort of encourage the you know the music and and my my wife bridget wo- works from mostly from home here so it's she's she I, puts up. I, find,
1: <laughs> I find you to be an inspiring character for me because i think people only have to look back at your career i mean i i didn't know half of the things that i, I researched I I I was aware obviously of your, your work, but it's just incredible. You know, we I'm not even touched on Wolfgang Fleur and you know
2: No, Wolfie that's I mean, you know, great relationship with him. Met him in Dublin in two thousand and seven, I think. I got booked to do a gig in Dublin, as did Dave Ball and as did Wolfgang. And of course me and Dave were like, Wolfgang Fleur, Wolfgang Fleur, like being <laughs> ourselves, you know, and uh, and he was lovely and I was by far the best DJ. Geez, they were like, uh, you know, knocking the needle <laughs> off or whatever they were bringing something in wrong. But I, of course, Dave was like, you bitch, <laughs> shouting at me because I was uh, mixing away. It was funny. Um, but yeah, we, we all got on well. And I did, I mean, I did, you know, I, got a, I did put a note under Wolfie's door just saying, you know, brilliant to meet you. And, you know, a massive fan. And, you know, if you ever want to do anything. And he got in touch with me straight away, sort of when I got back to, um home here in the sunny northwest and he yeah he, he came over and stayed here and we went and did some great photos at the where the other uh, the robot earth uh, of what's the um anthony gormley exhibition is with the uh iron oh, man
0: yeah yeah, you know, yeah. Sort of like
2: and then um, and then we did you know we did that track golden light um yeah. i wrote for him which he it, you know it sounds amazing and uh and then I, I and I went on, you know, to, I told him a bit DJing, you know, did some, you know, UK dates, European dates, and then I got busy and and so did he. But well, you know, I've come back and DJed a, a few times with him, and, and and you know, we email each other now and then. He's so oh, busy nice. now. He's I, just need get, I, need, I
0: need to
1: get him on the podcast. Actually, that'd be a good thing.
2: Yeah, you should. He'd he'd definitely do it. You I mean so. I would, would think yeah, I would think can definitely. You, I mean,
1: can you um give me his can. email address off,
2: I, I definitely will.
1: Yeah, thanks. No problem. Okay, now, now we're now down to the fun part of the uh, wait,
2: Oh no, it's like out of a list of two hundred if it's favorite anything, it has to be just today, on today. No no
1: of today. course no 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 it's not a test. <laughs> <It> feels, <laughs> you know, there's no like, right and wrong answers. Like, it's I, know, just, but I like I like the spontaneity I'm of people.
2: You know, it's like, if somebody I, asks my favourite artist, it's like, well, can I have one from every decade? I,
1: well, you can, basically, it's just what box into your head. So anyway, hey, what's your favourite film Um. today?
2: Today, I'll go with, well, I'll go with Midnight Cowboy. It was Diva, Jules came in a few, but I'll go with Midnight Cowboy because well, let's go with soundtracks, you know, because that's yeah. the big influence for my favourite Great
1: soundtrack, isn't it?
2: Perfect it soundtrack.
1: Great soundtrack. I saw him performing live. How about that?
2: Just incredible, and John Barry is like, oh
1: my yeah. god! Yeah. And uh, what's your favourite book?
2: Oh, God! Um... Well, oh, that's so hard. Gosh.
1: It's this hard, I know.
2: It's really hard. I'm gonna go at the moment with Conform to Deform by Wesley Doyle. That's my favourite book today.
1: Cool. Moving on. Not- As in, these are all tips for the podcast listeners. You see, that's why I do it.
2: Oh, um, a great book out right now, confounded to deform the the amazing history of uh, the weird and wonderful history of some bizarre records. And Wesley's oh, kid, right. guy did a fantastic oral history of that. It's just brilliant. So brilliant. And seven um, of the way. Kathy Unsworth. Okay, two. Yeah.
1: two. Um. TV show, past present book set, anything.
2: Oh gosh. Uh. I'll go with early, you know, because it was things like, as I don't know, The Persuaders, <laughs> $6 oh, million. Love
1: that soundtrack. Oh you know,
2: all that. I mean, The Persuaders, again, it's John Barry, you see. So yeah. I'll go for that.
1: Oh, brilliant. Okay. Uh, an epiphanal moment in your life, a moment of realization.
2: Oof. Well, there's been a few of those, but I think, um, I think quite recently in the last few years, just a realization um through i've got to say it is through carl but it was just you know when you sort of realize that you've had a foot on your neck or something and you've held yourself back and you can let go of that i mean i really this is a crazy thing but it's all to do with my name practically because you know, when I was feeling so bad and, and everything about the split with Mark and, and just the years after, you know, it's like a bad divorce or something, you know, we've never spoken, yeah. we've never spoken since 1989. So oh. it was an extremely painful break at where the last gig gigs I did with him was touring with the Cure at stadiums in Italy. And, you know, I couldn't get him to hold my hand, look at me or anything before we went on. To, you know, it was all that horrendous. And so that carried on with me for many years. And then. Gradually, as I became friends with Carl, and he was just, you know, you've got to recognize who you are, and what you've done, you know, sort of all, all that sort of stuff, you know, just sort of nurturing, the, getting me back. And, uh, and so that came with like, I was sort of, you know, I dropped the E off my name because, you know, for some reason, I just, <laughs> it was some strange thing to do to, you know, and the foot was on my neck. And then when the foot came off my neck, the metaphorical foot on my own neck, shall we say, just holding me back or something. Um, I, you know, I've I've put the E back and used Anne margaret and just been more confident in myself and through that, it's like the talent is showing it, revealing itself. I mean, it wasn't not there, but I wasn't tapping it, if you like, how, how I should have been. So I think it's that kind of realization which has been, you know, doing the piano solo records and that type of stuff. I mean... There's been other moments, obviously, when I've been younger and all sorts of things, but I would say this was yeah interesting. Not very vital, you know, sort of since almost like you know just just coming into being sixty practically, you know. It was yeah, and
1: times. the moral of the story, I think, for people listening, is you can always uh, reinvent yourself. You can always yeah. change direction. You don't don't feel encased in your past.
2: Yeah, exactly, and don't feel like it's all over because you what you know. I mean, the age thing is crazy that people are so dominated by that i mean the amount of people i know who are, are like hitting 60 and just wanting to be old and wise and their life's dumb if you like and i'm like no this is a time to like you know bring it. just experiment and, and exactly you know, everything new you know new music for me not it, i mean i love the old I'm looking, looking
0: forward music. yeah
2: yeah but keep looking forward and traveling forward as, as you know by any means by any exactly. means necessary
1: um alternative career if you're not done music i bet you can't imagine this but
2: um well <laughs> i mean i started off as i said doing international history and politics i mean i was you know back at school i was like wearing the black arm man when chairman Mao, died, chairman Mao died and stuff so i was pretty you know
0: well honest. i'm
1: I'm still a socialist in fact i'm getting more left-wing as i get older
2: <laughs> yeah and it's like i so i mean i I think I had ideas, you know. Sports journalist was was a possible one, and uh, and I mean, God, was I ever thinking about being an MP? God knows, maybe. <laughs> sports, sports journalism, probably. I mean, I, I really, I'd have liked to have won Wimbledon, but I'm rubbish at tennis, but I'm mad for it. <laughs> so you know.
1: So well, what's your favourite? Is tennis your favourite sport?
2: Yeah, not that is you've. It? I mean, how ungoth is that? It's like, oh God, don't tell anybody. <laughs> it's but ungoth. Yeah. Yeah. Because it changed because it impacted me because women, you know, Billie Jean King and women were very visual. It was like, you know, sexism was being fought and it was being fought in tennis, you know? So I, I sort of, and Arthur Ashe was my, you know, I read his book and it introduced, you know, sort of really early on sort of Angela Davis and civil rights. And, you know, I read, I read Angela Davis's autobiography and I was really young because of Arthur Ashe. And so it kind of developed me as a person if you like i owe a lot to tennis yeah. in that way
1: there's a there's a really good book that my daughter bought for me for christmas which i've just finished reading uh, uh, and it's called banned books and it's it's just a quick pricey throughout history of books that have been banned and the reason they were banned at that time and a, a lot of the more current ones I think I think you'd find it very interesting, and, and well, other podcast listeners as well. It's all about transgression and what in and social mores and changing mores throughout time. I found it fascinating, anyway. Oh,
2: I, love, I love that. Episode. That does sound fascinating. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's it's really good. It's called banned books. I can't remember the author. Anyway,
0: the bloody biggest. Who's your um,
1: favorite uh, non-pop, rock? composer
2: um i love aaron copeland um a lot of the whiskeys, but i I really love aaron copeland i love leonard bernstein and leonard bernstein's interpretations of aaron copeland so they they hit me very early bernstein was such a massive influence on me
1: brilliant love that I, i i'm in total agreement by the way i'm i'm kind of obsessed with american 20th century classical music. I just
2: think this... I mean, El Salon Mexico is like an Appalachian Spring, a two of my favourite. I mean, El Salon Mexico is just such an amazing, amazing composition, Aaron Copland composition. You know the tr- you know there's that the, yeah. da, 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 all the yeah. I I think it's all had a massive influence on me. I can hear it all through my work with Mark Almond, All those influences, you know, all of them, every single yeah. influence.
1: Have you been to the Appalachians? I have not. Oh, you'd love them. Oh, my God. I,
2: don't know. I mean, I can see that I would. Let's hope, eh?
1: It's really well. I mean, I was lucky enough to get invited to do a lecture at the University of Virginia, and that's, that's the start it. of the Appalachian Trail and Blue Ridge Mountains. And it's so insanely beautiful out there.
2: Um, Mind blowing. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. You know, brown bears wandering around and deer everywhere. And oh, God, anyway. Have you had on? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I did get bitten by a tick though. I thought I got Lyme's disease at one point. Anyway, um who's your favourite visual artist?
2: Visual artist.
1: I mean, it could how, be how you... it could be conceptual artist as well. not have to be just painters or whatever, or sculptors.
2: Ah. Uh... I mean, I'm still quite crazy, if it, you know. Even though it's sort of, I mean, I love Van Gogh to be honest. A massive right. fan. I love uh, Takeshi, K- K- Takeshi Kitano. I love him very much. Um, God, it's tough, I can't I, I, I mean, I. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm stuttering. And. Uh, it's all right. No,
0: we'll,
1: we like I call this. <laughs> <clears throat>
2: I can't remember how to pronounce her name, but I've got a lot of uh, Yayo Japanese artist who's mad on the... Uh... Just let me look, one second.
0: Yeah.
2: I just... It's because you're asking. I mean, I, I can't believe how blank I'm being Yeah, Yayoi Kusama. I'm right, pretty mad yeah yeah. The,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I haven't um, been able to get over to Manchester, but um, there's a, she's got an exhibition there.
1: Yeah, they, I mean mm-hmm. I try and get to see. Oh,
2: yeah, oh no, I mean you know, I love Frida Kahlo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um final question. Oh,
0: um
1: well. which is very sad because I'm enjoying this, but anyway.
0: Yeah,
1: uh what's your favorite synth?
2: Favourite synth? Um it's not a great you know, it's not a classic, but I had one built for me in nineteen eighty-three, which is a Roland JX three P. Which, nice. you know, probably uh, Mark had that built for me. So it was like, it was so special because it was hand built for a start. And uh-huh. I was mad for it. I had the JX8 as well, but the JX3 was the first one that I really, you know, I played like when I was at school. We went, uh, when we were about, when I was about 17, we went on Wednesday afternoons to uh, the art school, the local art school. And there was all, you know, it was for synths, it was just full of synths. And I remember the mini Moog and a load of old wow. synths. Synth- you. Well, it was me and the other Anne, who was Anne Jones, who was like twice the height of me, and then all guys. And it was trying to get near them. I was the only one who could play, but could I get near them? Just all boys, boys, boys in front of them. Just like, shove your way in, just to <laughs> even like have a touch with them. But they were amazing. So, uh, you know, that was my first thing. But, yeah, the role in JX3, I'll go for.
1: Yeah, great. I've got a great story about Synths, which was actually one of the earlier podcasts. Um, my favourite story about Synths ever, I think, is uh, Gary Newman had, you know, with Tubo Army, had already written an album. He we went into the studio and there was a mini move lying around. And he went in and he said, God, can I have a mess about with that? He said, yeah, sure. We just got it in. Switched it on, started playing it. He immediately told the band it was going to scrap the album and write an electronic album said this is the future
2: wow and yeah. that was that
1: and that was that and then next thing you know obviously it's all kicking off oh, so, yeah it's an amazing story isn't it that i love that so oh, it reminded yeah. me a bit of, you've <laughs> seen all these since, you know randomly
2: it was yeah, and it was it was every Wednesday afternoon, and they were, and it was just, I mean, when I think now, it was like, wow, what a treasure, you know?
0: Yeah, really.
2: Of, of like big synths, big, you know.
1: <laughs> were there like mo- were the like modular synths there? Yeah,
2: well. a big old seventy synths, you know. So oh, it was VTS like 3, you know yeah. Rick- yeah. what, and, and whoever was back then, yeah. yeah, yeah, big big efforts,
1: <laughs> big efforts. Uh, yeah. Annie, Annie has been an absolute joy talking to. you Thank you so much. Oh, for your
2: time. I've never done a podcast before, so it's like you're my first. Oh was,
1: well, yeah, I,
2: I, to get I've to my first.
1: I popped your uh, podcast cherry. You did. <laughs> <laughs> never thought you'd be say, uh, I'd be saying that.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, anyway, on that bombshell, I yeah, shall, I shall do so it. Have a fantastic day. And you, and, man. Uh, don't forget to send me Wolfgang Fleur's, um email or and I'll
2: send him a little mail saying do it as well. Oh, <laughs> and uh, electronically yours, baby.
1: All right, darling. Lots of love and I hope we get to meet in the flesh. Yeah, we
2: will. We'll make sure of it.
1: All right. Thank you.
2: Bye. Ciao, bye. Thank you so bye. much. Bye.
3: here just retroactively inserting a little plug for Annie's double CD and book bundle which can be bought via her shop online shop I'm presuming at Lexa and um, yes yeah, so do not miss that go out and pre-order it now
1: Annie what a great lass I really think we'd get on well if we ever met Unfortunately, I couldn't see her on the Zoom because her camera wasn't working. But um, she sounds like a lot of fun and uh, I've got a lot of time and admiration for her persistence and for her talent and for her creative soul. And we need more people like that in the world. I forgot to mention she worked with Lydia Lunch, one of my favourite artists as well, and Nick Cave. Just loads of stuff, and there's a certain thread, as I mentioned, in there certain thread of wistfulness and stuff that goes through her work a lot of the time, which I think is very attractive, and I love it. I love it. Um, how is everyone? What is this summer? It's really weird. Uh, as we record this, it's the end of July, and it's kind of more like autumn, really. Very odd, but you know, can't complain. Uh, feel free to email me electronically, Martin at gmail dot com or if you can contribute to keeping this podcast entertaining, free, and ad-free, more to the point, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, So go to patreon.com stroke electronically hours. Another fantastic guest next week. Lots of love. Bye! Cool,
3: this is from Mark Simmons. Hi Martin, I've just discovered your podcast while searching for Paul Hartnell orbital-related re- bits and pieces due to the boys having their latest album, Optical Delusion, released. Though I'm a long-time fan of Hartnell's work. And what a treasure trove of interviews I've discovered with your podcast. So many great names, I'm now queued up to listen. Two. Two. Sorry, I've only discovered your show now, but a long time, but as a long time electronic music fan who was around 8 or 9 when I first heard Kraftwerk in primary school during a music and movement class. i would a to have seen. Yeah, that. that sounds fun. Your show is an absolute gold mine. Um As you mentioned in the Paul Hartnell interview, I'd also love to have a pint with yourself and any of the interviewees you have on the show and listen to all the tales of music, past, present and future, though the podcast will probably have to do, smiley face. Have you considered having a live interview panel show with multiple guests and as an event people like us could come along to? That's a good idea.
1: I've thought about that. Um,
3: Lots of podcasts do a live show. uh,
1: Yeah, I think there would probably be an appetite, but it's a bit of a ball like Um, I mean, I wouldn't need a promoter to come along and organise it. I just don't have the... It's hard enough doing the podcast. But if a promoter's out there and interested, I'd be interested in discussing the possibilities.
3: That'd be fun. Um, Anyway, just wanted to say hello and thanks again for the great interviews I have in front of me. Looking forward to future guests too.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Uh, This is from Becca McLeish. Uh, Hi Martin, hope you're good, love the podcast, Northern Irish DJ, producer and label head show Hammer, a.k.a. Rory Hamilton, oh this is a plug, this isn't actually, he's offering to get this guy Hammer, she's offering to get Hammer on the show and I have no idea who Hammer is, sorry
3: Thanks anyway Becca. Uh, This is from a patron, Chris Rosendahl. Fantastic. Have been loving everyone. Is Anne Hogan from the Mark and the Mambas on the list? She would be excellent.
1: Are you speaking English
3: today? Annie Hogan. (laughs) Annie Hogan, yeah.
1: From the the Mark and the Mambas. From Mark and the Mambas.
3: (laughs) Whatever. (laughs)